Hello. How's everybody doing? My name is Matt Hawkins. I'm one of the pastors here at Desert Springs Bible Church. I'm excited to see all of you here this morning at our first service. I am extremely uh, grateful to kick off this series. The work is worship series. And for the next uh, few Sundays, we will dive into this amazing topic. Before I read Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, I got a story. That's right. I got a story. My oldest son uh, recently got a progress report. His fourth grade teacher wrote basically that he's good, everything's okay, he's on track to getting out of fourth grade successfully and entering into fifth grade. Hallelujah. She also wrote (laughs) that she is concerned about Matthew's focus on results and his reputation. He's focused on his grades and what she thinks about him. She went on to write that she would encourage him to be more focused on his actual work and why he's doing it. She went on to say (laughs) that she wants Matthew to make sure that he's working for the right reasons, not just for results and reputation. Now, she wasn't that eloquent. You know, I'm a preacher, so I had to add a few, you know, pieces of commentary, especially the results and reputation. That's what preachers do. We take alphabets and we connect them together because it makes us feel good. (laughs) Bottom line is, just like my fourth grader, we all, at some point in life, have over-prioritized our results and our reputation, especially when it comes to our work. Making sense of the world and how we measure up is what we are all trying to do every day. You tell yourself some type of story. We all, whether you are a Jesus follower or you're skeptical, we all have some kind of storyline that we're telling ourselves in our heads. In any case, if you get the story right, then the results come out on the right end. If you get the storyline wrong that you're telling yourself, then inevitably what you tell yourself will result in your end. Today, we look at our work through the lens of the Bible. And my hope is that we will clearly see that work truly is worship. My prayer, my hope, 
is that in the next few moments, you will clearly see that work, good work, is in fact worship to God for his glory and ultimately our good. Now, that sounds cool, but it's not the only thing that we're hearing. Leslie Stevenson's classic book, Seven Theories of Human Nature, lists influential views of human nature, peddled and proclaimed by big-time thinkers who influenced whole societies and generations. These thinkers outline seven different problems in human nature. Plato says that the problem with human nature is the physical body and its weakness. Marx said the problem with uh, human nature and humanity is unjust economic systems. Freud says that an inner unconscious conflict between desire and conscience is the problem with humanity. Sartre says the problem with humanity is not completely being free since there is no real objective value. Skinner says the big problem is not realizing that we are completely determined by our environment. Lorenz says, I got it. The problem is innate aggression because of our evolutionary past. Secularism says, there's no meaning to life answered by self-expression, sexual pleasure, and affluence. But what does the Bible present as a solid worldview for this human condition of being so self-absorbed, this human nature that we just can't shake? <laughs> The biblical worldview outlines these major pillars, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation was that great, awesome plan. The fall was the problem that came. And then there is this restoration and redemption that was the solution for the sin problem. The gospel is the true story according to what I believe and those who say they believe in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the true story that God made a good world that was marred by sin and evil that was messed up and ruined, but through Jesus Christ, he redeemed it at infinite cost, just massive abuse onto himself. He took it on to to fix this massive problem so that someday he will return and renew all creation. He will fix it when he returns forever. The implications of this in this context, according to a New York Times bestselling author, Tim Keller puts it like this. To be a Christian in business then means much more than just being honest or not sleeping with your coworker. 
It even means more than personal evangelism or holding a Bible study at the office. Rather, it means thinking out the implications of the gospel worldview and God's purposes for your whole work life and for the who of the organization within your influence. If I can sum that up, what this New York Times bestseller is saying, what the Bible screams is you are not the sum total, you are not the goal of this whole narrative, that there is something bigger than you, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus has given us an amazing opportunity to join this awesome narrative. Not because we're awesome, not because we're cute, not because we're popular, not because we have it all together, but because he chose to help us out of the terrible situation that we were in and give us an opportunity not to only be focused on results and reputation, but he gave us an opportunity to join him in this massive revolution to give him glory and not only to give him glory, but so that people will see all of the good work that you do and then they will join you in giving him all the glory so some of you guys are asking cool dude got it why does this matter well one of these videos already told you that a lot of you guys in this room spend a heck of a lot of time at work a lot of your precious minutes that you will never get back you spend tons of those precious minutes at some type of job whether you are a home maker watch the m's here they come a mechanic a minister or you're in upper management do you see those you spend so much time at work, and we can no longer say that this is my time and this is Jesus' time. There's no sacred and secular divide. All of life is worship. Work is worship. And I'll prove it to you in just a few moments. Three clear, concise reasons why. I'll say them really quickly, why this is important. Why are we talking about this? First of all, the gospel narrative gives us an alternate story. You are a piece in a larger narrative. Number two, it provides a new and rich thought process and mindset of work as we partner with God in his love and care for the world that he created. Number three, it provides new motivation when you don't feel like getting out of the bed in the morning. It provides a reason why when you're on your way to school to do work. It provides real bona fide motivation to keep going and to stick with it 
when you ain't really feeling it. Can I get an amen? amen? Right there. Yes, amen. Well, in the Bible, Scripture says this very thing. Colossians chapter 3, 23 through 24. I'll read it. I'll try to be very conservative as I read it. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Here, in this context, Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing to a church also known as the Colossians. This is a small group of people who worship Jesus in a house and they are faithful. You see that they are faithful to Jesus in chapter one. Then it shifts. In chapter two, immediately Paul raises some drama. Somebody say drama. He raises some issues. Apparently, there has been some heresy. There has been some lies. There has been some deceit. If you see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, somebody is starting to talk about another philosophy, another movement, an alternate worldview, something that is counter what the gospel preaches. Paul says, I know about it, and I'm going to speak on it. And so he speaks on it in chapter 2. We're not really sure who or where the heresy or the lies came from. Some people say it could have come from the Jews. Others say that it could have come from some of those, those New Age thinkers of that particular time. And, 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 and the fact of the matter remains that Paul felt like he needed to address it. But then it moves. After he addresses it, we get to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he reminds them of some information that they should be aware of. He talks about what it means to follow Jesus, talks about the family, and he talks about staying away from certain things and clinging to other things. And then the text moves, and we get towards certain Christian duties, and he starts to describe how we should conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus. And a part of us conducting ourselves is at work because he's well aware that you aren't just supposed to be a Jesus follower at church you're supposed to be a Jesus follower everywhere because you are the church the church is not a building it's not an organization it's an organism it's constantly living and breathing it's it it's comprised of people and he says wherever you go in all that you do don't do it for people, fourth grade Matthew. Do it for a greater purpose. Do it for a greater reason. And he actually lays out the specific reason. I'm going to read it one more time for your hearing. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. You were made 
to work. You were created to work. And we know, number one, that you were created or you were made for work because you were made in the image of God and in his likeness. And in the beginning, in Genesis, you find that God worked. Bible says, in the beginning, God created, and whatever he created, he called it good. And before the fall, before things got crazy, before things went bad, work existed. So we can no longer agree with the Greeks and say that work is evil, and work is bad, and work is a punishment, and work is horrible. Because if we say that, then we have to say what God was doing was horrible and bad. But we know that's not true because we know that God can't do anything that's evil because God is perfect. And before the foundations of the world, he had in his mind an idea to work. And out of God's rhythm of work, out of that, we were created to look like him and to behave like him in our work. When did this all change, though? When did it, when did it become evil and overbearing and, ah, Monday is here? The same moment humanity chose to leave God out of their worldview. Instead of viewing it as a gift from God, work has been seen as punishment. Evil chores, a curse. I hate doing the dishes, I tell myself. I hate doing the dishes. I tell my wife, babe, God didn't call me to do dishes. It's just not in my skill sets, not in my gifting, babe. Please, Jesus, save me from these terrible dishes. I can vacuum all day, honey. I ain't got time for the dishes. Instead of viewing it as a gift, man has viewed it as punishment. At best, a requirement for survival to get paid, to climb up some ladder. I'm still looking for that ladder, guys. To climb up some staircase to make sure that those digits, those results, look a certain way in the bank account. Is that what we were created for? <laughs> Is that why we were created? That's a rhetorical question. Don't feel pressure. Is that why we were created? <sighs> Anytime you attack the integrity and the sincerity of a gift, it subconsciously calls into question the intent of the giver. For the longest time, we have been trying to say, we don't like this, this is not a gift. This is something that we have to deal with, we have to suffer through, and we have mislabeled this beautiful gift called work, this act of worship. We have mislabeled it, we've called it bad when it's really good. We've called it from Satan when it's really from God. But it's a part of darkness. 
It's a part of that master plan to make you think that the gift is bad. And when you think the gift is bad, then you automatically think of the giver and you think the giver is bad. And we know, again, that's nothing but a lie because every good and perfect gift comes from God. If work is viewed as a curse, the goal becomes to create a world where we can survive and thrive without actually working. So then we cut corners and we lie and we cheat at the expense of everything we truly care about, everything that really matters. As long as that bottom line looks good, we'll do whatever we got to do. As long as I get my check, I'll do what I got to do. This is a common mindset. I'm not saying it's a common mindset amongst all of you wonderful souls. But this has taken over, at least from many perspectives that I've seen, it's taken over this environment, this corporate mindset, this, this Western mindset, this, this focus that I got to get mine at any cost. Even if that means that I'm edging God out of this amazing opportunity to worship him, I would rather worship my own agenda than worship him. We were made to work so that we could join God in what he's already up to. Not only were we made to work, but clearly we were made to work for, according to the text, not a human manager, but a heavenly manager. Apostle Paul writes, Colossians chapter 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, work heartily, Work with all of your physical, emotional, spiritual, psychological strength. Everything you have, give it to the Lord and not to a man. Context, human. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance. We are commanded not to work for eye service as people pleasers in Colossians 3.22, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Not fearing the Lord as if he's going to whoop me, but fearing the Lord because I respect him, I reverence him, and I just long to bow down and be humbled when I'm in his presence. I just want to please Jesus. And it is possible. I said it, and I know it's might, it might be disrespectful to you, but I'm going to say it again. It is possible to actually be an attorney and worship God while you are practicing law. It is possible to be a politician and actually give God glory. I know you're thinking I'm lying up here, but I'm telling you the truth according to Scripture that it is possible to respond to Colossians chapter 3 as you are working on somebody's car because all of this is God's way of supplying every need. We need politicians. I know you don't think so, but we do. We need attorneys. I know you have some thoughts in your own 
own mind. We need mechanics. We need people in the maintenance department. We need all these things. And this is God's unique way. According to Psalms 145, Psalm 146, this is God's amazing way of actually being God, supplying our needs. And he chooses to use people in everyday life. Not only do we have God as a manager, but finally, somebody say finally. We can see that in the context of work, when we are overwhelmed, when we are frustrated, when things don't seem to be working out in our work, when it seems like we are suffering in this context as a bond servant, as a slave, as someone who works so hard that it's, it's challenging to see the rewards right now. For someone who works extremely hard and, and it seems like there's more month than there is money. For someone who works extremely hard and it just doesn't seem like there is a greater purpose. We have encouragement here. The text says we are not only working for God, but we're working for benefits for a reward. Now you gotta be careful here. This reward is not your Bentley. This reward is not so you can get paid. This reward is not so somebody can pat you on the back and say you did a good job little Johnny. This reward is not so you can get the approval of people, fourth grade Matthew. This reward is so much bigger because we cannot fit a massive God in a tiny economic system. This God is too massive for this tiny little Western idea of capitalism. This God is so massive that he defines worldviews, that he shapes entire perspectives. This reward is to be in in his presence forever. This inheritance is to be in his presence. Every day, grandma said, will be Sunday. The Sabbath will have no end. There is peace. I felt that. There is peace in his presence. And can you imagine that that's not only high pie in the sky when we get to heaven, when glory comes, but there is joy even in the midst of suffering here on earth. I'll say what Paul said in scripture, I count it all joy. (laughs) Even in tough times. I don't know what your work situation looks like. But I know that at the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made, the blood that he shed, that gospel worldview does not end with doom and gloom. But three days later, 
early Sunday morning, Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. Well, preacher, what that got to do with tomorrow? You will need that same power, that same motivation to deal with the ups and downs of the market, to deal with the issues that you're facing in your day-to-day as a mother, as a manager, as a mechanic. You will need that same power. And it's available. It's available. It's free. It's already paid for. Ain't cheap, but it's paid for. Amen. 